Hello, Canucks fans, and welcome into episode 137. That's season four, episode 18 of the Canucks Speakeasy podcast. I'm Pete. And I'm Doug. Doug, we've been away so long. Like we're gonna, we're just gonna skip the game flight, man. I, I did the math. That's eleven game flight. That's not a flight anymore, man. That's one beer short of a twelve pack. Yeah, I mean, clearly we missed our connecting flight, and uh, we're stuck in the airport. And we just said, screw it, we're gonna catch the bus. Uh, but no, I totally agree. Eleven games. <laughs> with, that's a lot of games, man. Ah, oh, geez, man. And again, sorry everyone for the delay. Like it's just been. Man, February's been crazy for both of us, eh, Doug? Yeah, I mean, I I made a move. Uh, my fiance and I we moved out to Delta, so that's obviously a pretty big change for us uh, in the new place. Now uh, it's nice; we got so much more space, which is good. Uh, I've had the week off work, so it's just been kind of unpacking and kind of getting everything sorted. Um, and then I've got to figure out how I'm going to get to work on Monday, uh, which will be fun. I mean, the buses are pretty close to where i am so i should be able to just catch a bus straight to bridgeport station but uh yeah that's what's new with me what's new with you pete and you live in sawasan i know you're saying delta but you're you're like sawasan buddy oh yeah south 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 delta like i can south side walk, i can walk to sawasan mills from in about probably 15 minutes from my place all in um yeah man things over here again just being crazy i had uh i had works just being Pretty go, 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 which is great. Uh, lots of beer to make, so people are drinking beer. Hey, that's great. And then I, uh, as you know, I do work with uh, the Vancouver Mural Fest, and we had the Winter Arts Fest going on. And so just every night for 11 days, I was doing stuff with that. And uh, just then, we had a couple of windows where we're like, hey, we could record on this day after my tour or like before this. or And then there's Canucks games, 11 of them in there, and we don't record on game days. And we just like, we tried a couple times and man, we just, just couldn't make it work. But things kind of are a little bit back to normal now. You're settled. Winter Arts Festival is over. Uh, so hopefully we get a little bit more regular here down the road with uh, getting some episodes out. Yeah, I mean, even some of those dates where we're like, oh, maybe we can record on this day. I was like, oh, I'm, I'm packing and I'm organizing and I'm throwing shit away. Um, so we're here now and I think now's the best time to, to hit record given all the kerfuffle on, uh, about the Canucks the last couple of days here and tons of uh, new players and trades to break down and discuss. But uh, yeah, it's nice, man. Like I said, Delta's pretty cool or Sawasan's pretty cool, man. It's like... It feels like you're living in a small town, but yet you're still just a hop, skip, and a jump away from Vancouver. And and Victoria, really, man. You're like kind yep. of uh, you're close to close to my home turf uh, over there as well, um, man. Yeah, it's uh, it, it's it's. I was just thinking about as well, like how we we tried to record a couple. So it's Friday today, uh, the third. And we were trying to record on Wednesday or Tuesday. I can't remember what day it was. And we were like, uh, you know what? After this trade and all the rumblings, we better like, you know, just wait and see what happens. And then there's the big trade with Detroit right after that. And we're like, oh, good thing we didn't record yet. So we decided to wait until the trade deadline passed. And, and here we are. What we're going to do on this episode, we're going to break down every trade the Canucks made. We're going to talk about bit about what's going on uh, we've also got the three stars of the month for february that we're going to tuck in at the end of the episode as well as our free pour at the end uh, but we're going to get right into everything that's happened with canucks uh, man it is lively out there on the internet today with canucks fans 
Yeah, I mean, the radio as well. I've been listening to the radio nonstop for pretty much a week now and lots of strong opinions. And I agree with some points. I disagree with other points, but uh, that's what makes being a Canucks fan so entertaining is that there's never a dull moment. And even though you think we're going one way, all of a sudden it's a 180 flip the other way. And you're like, okay, well, everyone was praising and allotting Patrick Alvine, first time in Canucks history, they were going to have seven picks in the first, was it 70? Four I think, rounds. The first, first four, four rounds, rounds, they were going to have that. seven picks. And then yeah, literally... First four rounds. Yeah, literally a day later, all that changed. And uh, yeah, I've got some opinions on it. You know, maybe they might be different than yours, Pete. But I've also got some positives to talk about it as well. But we'll get there when we get there. Oh, well, you know what? I'm, I'm, I'm curious, man. Uh, just with the way, uh, you know, I know you pretty well and the way you're looting. I think uh, when we get to the Detroit deal, I think we're going to have a, a pretty fun conversation. So Doug, let's, um, let's kind of get this moving. Uh, folks, you can follow us on Twitter. If you're not, I'm at Pete underscore gas and the podcast is at Canuck speak. You can give me a follow on Twitter at Doug then. And check out the Canucks Speakeasy outro playlist on Spotify. Pete and I continue to build the playlist with the outro segments of every episode. And there'll be another one added to the playlist at the end of this episode. And Pete, quickly, why don't we touch base on the track that you picked from the last episode, which feels like so long ago. But again, it was a really cool track. And uh, yeah, why don't you tell, fill everybody in a little bit about it? Yeah, I'll, I'll keep this quick, folks, because uh, I know that you're here more for the Canucks than the music, but music is definitely something that we like to make a part of this podcast. The track is called Journey Inwards. It's by LTJ Bookham. LTJ Bookham is an incredible producer and DJ who I've been listening to for 25, 30 years now. First discovered him when I was in the UK back in the late 90s. Uh, most of his stuff is really kind of atmospheric intelligent jungle as they call it this is from an album called the journey inwards which i have on wax it's an amazing album as well and uh just super down tempo electro-y but still with a little bit of its jungle roots in the background um and i thought it just again as our playlist kind of grows i thought it was a nice addition to to get some ltj in there yeah i really thought it worked well with uh, the outro segment in the last episode and i'm editing this episode so i guess you'll have to wait and see what I have in store for the outro for this episode. I'm looking forward to it, man. I liked uh, the last couple you've done quite a bit. Okay, enough of all that. This is uh, this has been a hell of a week in Vancouver Canucks fanland. It's, uh, I mean, it was just after not seeing a lot of action. And having said that, the Canucks did up to the last week or so, they had made the most trades in the NHL uh, out of any team. But there were five deals that happened within the last few days uh let's start at the beginning uh so the canucks send will lockwood and a 2026 seventh round pick to the new york rangers for vitaly kravtsov doug i mean yeah talk about acquiring a, a very skilled player for pennies on the dollar i like will lockwood i like what he brought the type of player he was to the bottom six he's kind of that energy guy but he did struggle this year with some of the limited looks he had with the big club. And Vitaly Kraptov is a very highly skilled guy who, of course, is a Dan, Diamond Dan Milstein um, player. So his agent is Di Diamond Dan Milstein. If you guys don't know, 
Milstein is the agent for Mikheyev, Kuzmenko, uh, I believe, um, uh, what's his name uh, on the farm there? Uh, the Belarusian kid, I can't think of his name right now, unfortunately. Klimovich? Klimovich. So he's, he's also Klimovich's agent, um, and he happens to be Kratsov's agent. Um, so again, you get this player who is super highly skilled for pennies on the dollar, and the other thing I do think is actually worth mentioning, and again, you know, I know a lot of people are being very critical of this management group at the moment, but I think one thing that people should point out and actually applaud them for is days earlier, there were talks and rumors that the ask from the Rangers for Kratzoff from Vancouver was Nils Hoglander. And Patrick Elvin stood his ground and said no, and... I believe within 48 hours, they came back and were able to broker this deal for the 2026 seventh round pick and Will Lockwood. Um, so good on Patrick Elvin for holding steady and not giving in to the initial ask. And yeah, I mean, I, I know they played uh, the, the Minnesota game. He looked really good. He's got, um, he's friends with Pod Colson. Um, him and Pod Colson, I believe, go uh, back from the time of the KHL and at the World Juniors. So they're pretty close. And they looked great against the Wild last night. Um, that was a really hopping line. And, uh, yeah, I mean, what do you think of the trade, Pete? This is uh, this is a good move. I mean, I, for me, there's very little downside. You know, you're, you're, it's... it's it's uh, it's a low risk, high reward. And look, I like Will Lockwood, and there is still a legitimate chance that Will Lockwood ends up having the better NHL career out of these players. But in terms of overall skill and upside, Kravtsov is is miles ahead of them. I mean, we're talking about a, a former ninth overall pick. And you mentioned the game last night. Uh, one of the things I liked is him and Pod Colson. They had they had a very strong game with with Sheldon Dries. I thought they had a, they had a great game last night. You didn't really notice him the game before, and I think he only had like nine minutes of ice time or something the game before. But last night there were two scrums where Pod Colson is acting like a bull in a china shop again. And Kravtsov comes right into the scrum with him, and I like seeing that. You know, Russian players don't always have that sort of reputation about their game. But Pod Colson is obviously a unique breed in the post-Ovechkin era. You're seeing more physical Russians. I liked how Kravtsov jumped in there, and uh, I like the the connection and the chemistry. And this could be a little bit like what that what happened with Kuzmenko and Bouvillier joining PD is that there's, there's a bit of a, a connection there. And you, if you find the right third line center, that could be a good third line going forward. So I really like that. You also mentioned Niels Hoglander. Hoglander's having a really good year down in Abbotsford, uh, and, and his game is steadily improving. Did you see that slick shootout goal he scored the other day when he came in backwards? Yeah, he's he's been on fire in Abbotsford lately, and I, I think Abbotsford, I know they papered down a bunch of guys that are, have been up with the big club the last couple of weeks. They just papered a bunch of them back down to Abbotsford for, the play, for upcoming playoffs, and yeah, Hoglander's been great, and I actually think it's better that he stays down in Abbotsford and kind of plays top-line minutes, top-unit power play to really build up his confidence, and hopefully next year, you know, he's busting down that door for a full-time roster spot again. And he's also got the whole waiver eligibility thing, right? So if he yes. plays two more games, he's got to go down. So there's, there's no rush. Maybe you bring him up for like the last game of the year or something, but uh, there's no rush. I, I like the idea of having a lot of these guys go down to Abbotsford and have a playoff run because I really do believe, and this is something Patrick Alvin said today in his interview on 650, was that it's very important in any league to get that playoff experience. And I, I fully agree with it. Uh, one of the things when I saw this trade, 
It just kind of jumped out at me. I'm like, at what point did the Rangers say, you know what, that seventh round pick three years from now, that that seals a deal. If we don't get that seventh round pick in 2026, this deal is off. Like It's just kind of an odd little thing to throw in there and even it up. And I'm sure the Canucks didn't want to trade a pick this year and maybe not next year. And maybe that's just how it came about. But I, I got a good chuckle about that. I could just picture them on the phone like, no, you know, you can't have a seventh this year. Nope, not next year. No, oh, 2026. All right. All right. We, we can make that work. Yeah, like there's my only there's a couple of concerns regarding Vitaly Kratsov. One is he's already said to the Rangers back in the day that he refused to uh, go down to uh, the AHL. So he he's threatened to go back to the KHL if he was to be sent down to the KHL. So that's kind of concerning. Um, I believe he's an RFA at the end of this year, so we're gonna yes. have to figure out a a deal for him after this season is over. And he's another winger. And right now this team is so flush with wingers. But it's a buy-low candidate who has unreal skill. He's not been a consistent NHL player as of yet. He has struggled at times. But he's a guy who has shown that when he's, when he's on his game, he's very elite. And he is very, very skilled. It's just trying to get him to be consistent and that game to be a consistent. And, you know, we're seeing that with Pod Colson. You know, Pod Colson hasn't been entirely consistent this year. That's why he's gone down uh, back and forth between Abbotsford and Vancouver this year. But, I, again, I don't think there's one Canuck fan that can't say they don't like this trade. You're getting a really high-value player. Yeah. And the Rangers, clearly, they, they were selling low because they were trying to make room for Patrick Kane. Yeah, yeah, 100, 100%. Um, I think there is... There's a few things with Kravtsov. Uh, you know, you mentioned that whole thing with the AHL. Maybe that's different here in Vancouver with Pod Coles. And I mean, the fact is now, though, he's 23 and he should be able to play regular minutes in the NHL at, at this point in time. So I, I am really hoping that it works out. I mean, my first thought after this, the excitement of this deal, because I, I was excited. I'm like, sweet, we got Vitaly Kravtsov, is is this guy going to turn into something or is this going to be the Canucks new Nikolai Goldobin? You know what I mean? Like again, another first rounder coming here, a skilled Russian. What, what is going to happen with Kravtsov? I mean, it's easy to get excited, especially when you see the game like last night against Minnesota. I thought he was one of their best players. And yes, there's a glut of wingers. But do you really think all these wingers are going to be here in September? I, I really don't. There's, there's more to come with, with this team from what we've seen. Yeah, and I I think even though some of the bigger ticket wingers didn't move at the deadline, uh, spoiler alert, if you didn't know what happened, who, who was or wasn't traded uh, up to this point. Um, but I do think one thing that does happen around the trade deadline, and we actually saw this with the OEL deal, is I do think the groundwork for a lot of these trades gets done months, if not you know years prior. I mean, the OEL deal was discussed a year before the Canucks actually made that deal with um, Phoenix. And I do believe at this deadline, because you heard rumors of JT Miller, and obviously Brock Besser's name's been out there, and uh, Connor Garland's name's been out there. I do believe that there might have been some groundwork set with teams come the offseason where it's going to be easier for them to acquire players on those big tickets after the season's over. So I, I wouldn't be surprised if you see 
one of, if not two, JT Miller, Brock Besser, Connor Garland ended up getting moved in the offseason. Now, that being said, I know we thought that would happen last offseason and not much happened, but I'm a little bit more confident going into this offseason than I was last offseason. I think it's it's well, and it's something I've said all week, is it's very hard to move wingers with term at this point in the year. Now, there's a market for guys out there, but a guy like a Granlund or uh, a Besser, even a Miller, if, if that is an option out there, it is very tough to move those guys who all have term uh, because teams just aren't quite sure yet and thinking really past, well, teams that are contending right now aren't really thinking past this year as much as other teams. When you get to the offseason, there's a lot more cap space, there's a lot more flexibility, and there's a lot more suitors as opposed to teams who are out of the race, maybe considering themselves as buyers, uh, while teams that are in the race are not necessarily looking to pick up term past this year. Um, so for me, I mean, hey, going back to Kravtsov, uh, this is, for me, well worth the risk. I've always liked Will Lockwood. I've liked his game, but the skill and the upside with Kravtsov, if you can get any sort of consistency out of this guy and he can become uh, a solid third-line winger, who can play at both ends and finds chemistry with Pod Colson. I mean, this is a, an easy win. Curious to see what he signs with Vancouver, but I can't see it being a big cap hit. I mean, the Canucks did in this deal end up taking on 875000 of cap space with this, which is going to be a recurring theme here with the, with uh, with talking about the cap, I'm sure. But I can't see Kravtsov getting a, a big raise off of that uh, with, with his next deal. I, I see something small, a two-year deal, nothing that's going to break the bank, though. Yeah, and just going back to something you said earlier about, you know, Nikolai Goldobin, even if Kravtsov ends up being Nikolai Goldobin 2.0, this deal is still a win because you're buying low on a guy who has incredible skill. And if he does hit, you know, I know some people were saying, oh, is this the Marcus Naslin trade? I'm like, no, no. Whoa, whoa, hold your horses. I don't think, I wouldn't I wouldn't make that leap just yet. To, but yeah, no, even if he ends up being a bust and he doesn't end up being an everyday NHLer, I still think this is a massive victory for the NHL or for the Vancouver Canucks. I think, again, I like Will Lockwood just like you like Will Lockwood, but Players of his size and his skill are a dime a dozen in the league. They really are. Let's take a look at the next trade. Two days later, so that was February 25th. February 27th, uh, kind of a surprising one. I mean, who could say that about a, a few of these on here? Uh, the Canucks send Riley Stillman to the Buffalo Sabres for Josh Bloom. Now, this one is a guy who did have uh, a little bit of term on his deal. Now, Riley Stillman, of course, was kind of the throw-in to make the the trade with Chicago work in the cap dump for Jason Dickinson, which cost the Canucks a second round pick. Uh, Josh Bloom, admittedly, I didn't know anything about when I looked him up. I've, I've uh, heard a little bit more about him. Another winger who's going to be joining our AHL team next year, having a good year in the O. Apparently the Canucks uh, scouts quite liked him. Uh, to me, though, this is just getting rid of a guy in Riley Stillman who had obviously been passed on the depth chart by Breezeball and Molanen, and you're just getting rid of that $1.35 million cap hit, and you're getting a former third rounder from the Buffalo Sabres. Yeah, again, a big-time win for Alvin and the management group here. Uh, Riley Stillman was not working in Vancouver. Uh, I know this year th this team, their defense has been incredibly bad. 
So maybe it's not all Stillman's fault, but for whatever reason, he just never looked comfortable. He never looked like he found his stride here. And again, another thing that I do think we need to credit this management group with is they're not afraid to move off of a mistake. If they feel like they've identified a mistake, Riley Stillman. Now, again, they were trying to get rid of uh, Jason Dickinson's cap. They traded a second round pick and they had to take back money from Chicago. And that's why they ended up having to take back Riley Stillman. I don't think they necessarily targeted Riley Stillman in that deal. I think Chicago wanted them to take money back as well. Um, and now they get out of Riley Stillman's deal for next year. So essentially they gave up a second round pick and got back, or they gave up a second round pick and Jason Dickinson and got back Bloom, who is a late bloomer, no pun intended. Oh, you're not but, joshing uh, us. There you go. There you go. Uh, but he's a guy who was affected by the COVID year. Um, and it hurt his development, I believe. And he didn't play a lot of games in the OHL. And this year, and even last year, actually, he, from what a lot of scouts have said, you know, by no means is he a guaranteed NHL player. He still has a long way to go, but he has taken massive strides since he was drafted. And, you know, I believe he was a third round pick. And even at the time, some people thought that that was a bit of a reach when Buffalo picked him where they did. Um, But people think that, you know, right now he looks like he's more of a second round talent coming out of that draft. Uh, and I think that's a massive win. You get out of Stillman's contract. He was never really a fit here. And you get bring in another winger. I know. But he's a young player that can help Abbotsford next year. This is also a guy who was traded from the Saginaw Spirit this season to the North Bay Battalion. Since he's been in North Bay, 43 points in 41 games. He actually has 59 points in 60 games on the season in the OHL. Not too bad. Year before, he had 61 in 67. Uh, He's come a long way in terms of his development. Uh, And again, this is just, it's two things. It's bringing in another prospect. Yes, it's a winger. We love wingers. But it's also getting rid of some cap space. Uh, I, I think overall, I mean, this again, this is a move that I think most Canucks fans applauded. And it also got rid of a little bit of a log jam on the blue line and has opened up some ice time for us to see what we have with Guillaume Brisebois. Well, I mean, by now we should know what we have with Guillaume Brisebois. I mean, Guillaume Brisebois has been with the team for like 22 years and has played 37 games, you know, <laughs> like. And I think it's just one of those guys like I can see Guillaume Brisebois retiring at like 40 years old and it being a Canuck his entire career and has like 89 games under his belt in the NHL. Uh, but I think uh, jokes aside, though, I think Brisebois actually looked uh, pretty good. And so is Christian Willannon. Uh, Kyle Burrows, of course, is able to draw some more ice time into the lineup. Noah Yulson has been a little bit hit and miss, but at least they're, they're seeing what they got with him. So it, it frees up a little bit more space to get some of these other guys into the lineup as well. So. Overall, pretty happy with that one. Um, let's keep this moving, Doug, because uh, we got we got some doozies coming up here. Next up, one that isn't too surprising, uh, the Canucks trade Luke Shen to the Toronto Maple Leafs for a third-round pick. So we're going to see Luke Shen in the house tomorrow in the Leafs blue and white. Again, the team that drafted him, I believe it was fifth overall. Uh, He said some really nice things. He said it was quite surreal at this stage of his career to be back in Toronto and putting uh, on that jersey. Uh, I think he's going to be a good number five or six defenseman for Toronto. I think they're going to really like him in the playoffs. That's the kind of guy that you win with in the playoffs. 
similar situation to for the Canucks for with Tyler Mott last year, right? Like Mott was a fan favorite. Shen was a fan favorite. Mott fetched a fourth rounder. Shen fetches a third. It's kind of underwhelming, but you kind of have to make these moves, right? In, in the Canucks position, these are moves you got to make. So, you know what? Third round pick for Luke Shen. That's about where I thought the market was. I thought a second would be gold. If you could get a second, obviously no one was biting on a second. So take the take the third rounder. Yeah, I mean, Shen's a pending 34-year-old UFA, right? So you've got to, I agree, you've got to get an asset back for him. I mean, we saw today Philadelphia Flyers absolutely shit the bed with JVR. You know, he's a pending UFA, and they weren't able to trade him at the deadline, and they're going to essentially get nothing for him, a la Jim Benning and Dan Hamus back in 2016. Um, is the return a little underwhelming? Yeah, I was kind of hoping we would get a second-round pick as well. But I think a third-round pick is a pretty solid pick uh, for a guy that cost you nothing. He was a free agent signing, and we saw with the previous regime, they didn't really do this enough with their pending UFAs. And it's nice to see, regardless of you know the next trade we're going to talk about, it's nice to see them... And they did it last year with Tyler Mott, like you just said. It's nice to see them actually realize, hey, look, if we don't have any intention of signing this player at this time, we're not saying we won't circle back in the offseason. I know there's been a lot of scuttlebutt about whether or not the Canucks could uh, reach an agreement with Shen come the offseason. I I think this is still a win. Uh, Was it a little bit underwhelming than what we were hoping? Yeah, I probably was. Because the way the Leafs are playing this year, it's going to be kind of a mid to late third round pick as well. Probably closer to a fourth round, early fourth, when everything's said and done. Uh, But uh, again, draft picks are draft picks and they are important. I mean, no matter where you are in your evolution as a franchise, you need to always be restocking the cupboard and have that next generation of talent in the wake and I, I this is a win for me have you seen uh some of the teams that are contending this year uh their their draft cupboards like specifically toronto and tampa like uh, they've just they've just gone all in right like uh looking at the lightning here they don't pick until the sixth round they got a sixth and two sevenths next year they don't pick until the third round and the year after that they don't pick until the, the second round they've just gone all in with with their picks and then Toronto kind of a, a similar thing I know they acquired a first uh back from uh I believe it was Wash or Boston's first that they got from Washington yeah it was but then they don't pick again till the fifth round in Toronto they actually only have three picks in the draft so they have Boston's first and then they have a fifth and sixth and then the year after that uh they don't have a second and then the year after that they only have one pick in the first four rounds and that's a third so some of the teams going all in or really investing in the draft capital. Uh, the Canucks at the end of the day right now, they actually have uh, a good chunk in the third and fourth round. And again, that's part of the, the Luke Shen deal. But with that in mind and talking draft picks, we got to just get into the, the doozy. This is the big one. The one that came out of nowhere. Uh, the Canucks acquire Philip Hronik and a fourth rounder this year for the first round pick that they got from the New York Islanders in the Bo Horvat trade, that conditional first, as well as the Canucks' own second round pick. Uh, Hronik comes in with a $4.4 million cap hit, so we've been kind of going positive-negative up to this point. Uh, He's signed through next season on that cap hit. Um, Doug, I want to hear you go first on this one. Uh, Look... It's This is tough because I think Hironic is actually a really, really good player. And I think he is somewhat underrated. 
Um, he's a guy that I think has an incredible shot. If you look at some of this guy's highlights, his shot is unbelievable. We're talking like Sammy Sallow-esque shot. Like he is, he's, his shot is that good. And this year, he's taken some really big steps on the defensive side of the game as well, which is nice. So he's he's really uh, stepped up his defensive game. I believe he's second in scoring for the Detroit Red Wings this year, only behind, um, um, again, I can't Dylan think Larkin? right now. Yeah, Dylan Larkin. Thank you very much. Um, he, he's been very, very good for them this year. The issues I have... There's a couple of issues. It's like, yes, he's a right shot defenseman, and yes, it's really, really hard to find right shot defenseman. And this is probably what you have to pay, right? Like, it's just, it is what it is, unfortunately. This is kind of what the grade is for a le- for a right shot defenseman this day and age in the NHL. But are the Canucks in a position to make this type of trade where they are now? If you look at where they are in their standings, I believe they're. 27th worst in the league right now, maybe 26th worst in the league. You don't see too many teams coughing up a first and second overall or second round pick to acquire a player. And I know Heronic's good. He's cost control. He's RFA at the end of next year. They're going to have to find money to sign him. The other thing, and this is the thing that I find very confusing with this management group, and I, I think they've done some really good work. I think all up until this point, I think they've done really well. And I do like Koronek, and I do think he's going to be a good player for the Canucks. I really do. But the one thing they've been preaching since they got here was cap space, cap space, cap space. They need to free up cap space. They have now put themselves into a position where they're going to be over the cap heading into next year. Every time they get a little bit of cap space, they do essentially what Jim Benning did and start spending right to the cap again. And so they've kind of put themselves in a bit of a predicament. And the fact that they weren't able to move money today, um, Garland didn't get moved, Besser didn't get moved. I know there was tons and tons of smoke around JT Miller's name. He didn't get didn't end up getting moved. For me, this I look at this as a little bit concerning in this in the sense of they're going to kind of be behind a barrel heading into the offseason, right? Teams are going to be able to take advantage of them because they know they have to be cap compliant. Or maybe they do what you've suggested and they buy out OEL. And sure, that's going to save you a ton of money next year. But the following years, OEL is going to be on the books for, I believe, six years uh, after Eight you buy them. Eight years in total. Eight years. Eight there years you go. If you, if, you buy them, if you buy them out uh, this offseason. And, and again, like that's, uh, that's, that's a tough, tough pill to swallow. So that's kind of my issue with this trade. I mean, I we were all, the day before, 24 hours prior, everybody on Canucks Twitter, everybody in the Canuck media was, was allowing the fact that they had so many picks within the first four rounds. Everyone was like, this is amazing. You know, they were so happy. And then literally it was like, um, Alvin was like, hold my beer. And he went and made this trade. And again, Heronics hurt as well. Uh, who knows? I mean, Heronic said today he was made available for a Zoom meeting. He said that he is planning to play again this season. Didn't allude much about his injury and that he's going to be flying into Vancouver on Monday. Um, I, yeah, I don't know, man. It's just, it doesn't make sense to me to trade for a player and give up that kind of capital when you're in the position the Canucks currently are. Now, I will play it you know, devil's advocate here and, you know, try to look at it from the other perspective. And I'll, I'll let you speak in a minute here, Pete. 
Quinn Hughes made okay. some pretty strong statements yesterday, and that was about he doesn't want to be here for a rebuild, and he thinks they are close. And, you know, so maybe there was internal dialogue between management and the players, and the players were like, look, man, like, let's actually try to get something done here and actually, you know, add to this team instead of just adding draft picks. But I just, it feels like they paid very high for Heronic, who is a really good player. And it's actually the second round pick I'm actually a little bit more upset about than giving up the first because I do think he is worth a first first round pick, but it's also the second round pick. That's what stings. Maybe if you could have punted that second pick to 2025 because I know they don't have one for next year because they had to give that one up in the Jason Dickinson trade, I would be a little bit better with this deal. But yeah, giving up the first you got from the Islanders plus the second this year, that stings a little bit in my opinion. I mean, you're a Canucks fan. You should be used to trading second round picks by now. This this always, always happens. Look, the Canucks do get a fourth back, which kind of softens a little bit of that second. Um, look, for me, there's a lot of things. Uh, at first, I wasn't thrilled about giving up the first and the second either. I've I've thought about it a lot. I've watched a lot of Heronic tape. I like Heronic a lot. What is this team's biggest weakness? It's the right side D. And if you want to get a right side D who's good, who lines up in the same age range as Quinn Hughes, you're not going to get them in the draft. And you have to look at what is out there. I didn't even know Heronic was out there. Uh, if he was, that would have been a guy I would have said, hey, the Canucks should look at this guy. And you're right in saying that a first is certainly on the table and and fair for a guy like Heronic. Is the second pushing it into overpay? Uh, maybe. I mean... Again, I want to see how Heronic looks. Is this year, if this year is an anomaly and we go into this is OEL part two, then yeah, it was, this is an awful, awful trade. But I don't think it is. Like to me, Heronic seems like a guy who's on the up, starts addressing the right side issue because the Canucks have nobody in their system who is a, a right side prospect who's legitimately going to be top four you have to find these guys in other other methods if you're going and saying no we have to find our right side d through the draft for me that signifies a rebuild there's been no words and the canucks have never said we're doing a rebuild they're doing a retool this has always been the case and if you're doing a rebuild again i've said this before man you're, you're trading everybody it's scorched earth you're trading pd you're trading who hughes you're getting a ton back and you're starting again. And that's, for me, if, if we're addressing our right side through the draft, that is more what you, you'd be doing, is you'd be doing a scorched earth rebuild. Look, the Canucks still have their own first. I know we're acting like they don't have a first, but they do have a first. I've warmed up to this trade a bit. There is still a large level of risk in there. But are we going to take a, you know, you could take a gamble on a right side defenseman with your, one of your first picks and maybe they work out. And Hey, I love that stuff. I love the draft. I love draft picks. I love prospects, but there was an opportunity here to bring in a guy who is in the age range that they want, who could play the right side. And I think they just said, you know what, we've got to, we've got to do this. It's not like Heronic is, is 29. He's, he's 25. He's still got a lot of good, good time out there. Now, it, it, I'm more concerned with Heronic. Is this season an anomaly? He's been progressing upwards. His metrics are very good. He's, he's physical. He does play a physical game. He does kill penalties. He's a very well-rounded defenseman. I don't necessarily think he's Quinn Hughes' partner necessarily, but he could be. And it gives you uh, now two guys, two legitimate guys in a top four. Um, with the cap, yeah, the, okay, they, I've done a lot of math. 
in and played around with stuff. They are very close to the cap. It is technically possible that they can start a roster with their current team next year. It's just it's very, very tight, and it's it, does, it doesn't mean you're signing a lot of your RFAs that you got to sign, like Hoglander and Kravtsov and Bear and Dermid. There, there's a few guys out there that they got to sign. So they have to move some money, of, uh, of course, but you have seven months to do that. And I really do believe that there's gonna, they're going to find ways. There, there are options. You know, I've mentioned the OEL buyout. You've mentioned the OEL, OEL buyout. It's an option. It's not necessarily something you want to do. Tyler Myers, once he gets paid his bonus, that's a $5 million cap hit that you can trade to a team like Arizona, who only have to pay him $1 million. You can get out of that. Garland and Besser, I think there are markets for those guys. I think you can move guys. I don't think we're done. I, I don't think that they would go in and say, oh, and, and they said that. Alvin said he's not done. This isn't the end of it. But I don't think the Canucks are as bent over with their cap restraints as some people out there think they are. Yeah, and you know that's why I was saying earlier in this episode about I do think they may have laid some groundwork heading into the offseason with trading players like Besser or Garland or JT Miller. I mean, JT Miller, there's... I know some people are saying, oh, this is all BS and speculation. There's just way too much smoke around JT Miller leading up to this trade deadline, this last week especially, for, in my opinion, there not to be some validity to some of the rumors that were going around. But just circling back to Hironic, the the other worrisome thing for me about Hironic is... I, I don't think this is an outlier season. I actually think he is a really good player who's just hit his prime. The problem with that is what's it going to cost you to get him signed to an extension? And that, you know, it's like now you're adding this guy who's probably, I mean, I'm sure you could negotiate depending on how his season goes next year that, you know, look, you can't make more than Quinn Hughes. Quinn Hughes, I believe, is at what? 7.75, I believe it is, in and around 7. there. 8, 7.85. Okay. Yeah, you're, you're yeah, in and around 8. there. So like, you know, maybe you get Hironic at seven and a half. And again, you know, if he's full value, I, I think I think that's still high. I think that's still high. For depending right on how, I, I don't think it'd be quite that. But high. again, depending on how his season is, like he's on pace for fifty six points this year. Um, and you know, he, I, I, the guy's really good. And I do want to say this. And again, I, I just feel like where the Canucks are, it just doesn't make sense. Like, is this not a deal that could have been made in the off season? Like, uh, Coronix name well, wasn't out there, right? Maybe, but. But maybe Hironic wasn't there in the offseason. Maybe someone someone else is. Like, I mean, I hear that a bit. Like, but what is it being done in the offseason? What is what does that matter though? Well, I think maybe you could have gotten a cheaper deal, right? Because I guess what I'm saying is that I look at how Alvin stood pat. He stood pat with the Ethan Baird trade earlier in the season. The ask apparently was Nils Hoglander again. He said no. Carolina came back, and then they got it done for a fifth-round pick. And uh, Buddy there, who ended up getting claimed off of waivers from Columbus. And then just now with Kratzov, we saw the same thing. The ask was originally Nils Hoglander. Alvin stood his ground, and then you know they circled back, and they got, the, they got Kratzov for pennies on the dollar. I will say this, though. If you look at one of the other trades that happened prior to the Canucks making the Heronic deal... This is pretty much fair value. And I'm going to go back to the Toronto Maple Leafs. I know. I hate the Leafs. I'm actually going to the game tomorrow, so I'll be booing them up. But they made a trade with Washington Capitals, and you mentioned it earlier, where they traded Rasmus Sandin, and they got back 30-year-old defenseman Eric Gustafson and the Boston Bruins' first-round pick. Um, 
so they got they got a first and Eric Gustafson, who's a who's a everyday NHL serviceable player for a guy like Rasmus Sandin. In my opinion, Hironik is a much better player than Rasmus Sandin, at least at this point. I know Sandin's, I believe, two or three years younger, so there is that. And if you look at it that way, is Eric Gustafson worth worth a second round pick? Probably. Someone probably would have coughed up a second round pick for him. And Eh. Well, you know what I mean, though, right? Like, I'm just like, if, you, if, if I, we're I trying to compare the two values that were given up and who the better player is, yes. it's definitely Heronic yes. over Sandine. And I look at what Sandine got oh, back, yeah. and that, to me, that's pretty shocking that he was able to, you know, that he got, he got the Leafs, Eric Gustafson, and a 2023 first-round pick. I know it was the Bruins pick. It's probably going to be like the 30th pick, if not the 32nd pick overall. But still, it's a first-round pick. So if you look at it in that regards, I don't know if the trade looks as bad as people think. However, I just think it's just, it doesn't feel like it's that right time. It seems like that they're kind of jumping the gun thinking that they're better than they actually are. But I do think this guy is going to be a major improvement to the blue line. He, it is so hard. And that's the other thing. Rasmus Sandin's a left-shot defenseman. He's not even a right-shot defenseman. So if you look at it under that microscope, and I'm trying to play both sides here a little bit, um, it, it makes sense. The value, I guess, is a little bit easier to swallow if you look at what the Leafs, uh, or I guess what the Capitals gave up to get Sandin. Uh, I just, I think it was, everyone was so happy that it looked like you know, all we're focusing on the draft. We're we're collecting all these draft picks. We've got seven picks in the first four rounds. First time in franchise history, two first round picks. Plus, there's that whole thing with the condition on this pick that it's kind of like a a short sale on the Islanders. That if the Islanders, you know, are really shitty next year, you know, and that pick ends up going to the Canucks next year, it's not protected. So they could end up with a top three or top five pick. Obviously, that's not going to happen now. Um, but yeah, I, I don't know, man. I like Heronic. I actually think he's going to be a really, really good player for this team. I, I think fans are actually really going to like him. I think when you see this guy shot, look on YouTube, man, Heronic. There's a game. I forget who they're playing against, but he hit the post three times before finally wiring one, all on the same shift, before, before finally wiring one for the goal. I think it might have been against the Blues or... Maybe it was the wild. I don't remember. But anyways, uh, check out the clip. The guy can wire the puck, which we have definitely, definitely needed since the departure of Sammy Sallow all those years ago. Islanders currently holding the eighth spot in uh, the East right now and are currently sitting 16th in the NHL. So I think it's more likely at this moment, at least, that the Islanders pick would be used this year by Detroit. Uh, Look, I mean... I, I get that. I get the whole thing with picks, but I mean, the Canucks have never said they're rebuilding. They're they're acquiring these picks to to retool, and that's something I, I I think is important because fans were saying they're rebuilding, but the organization wasn't. I think that's where a lot of this disconnect is coming from. I wasn't a hundred percent shocked that they turned that pick into a right D. I I don't like that the second was involved, but again, that is the market. I mean. The Canucks have needed to address their right D forever, and this is a start, and now they've done it, and everyone's just, everyone's just freaking out and going after them like they've, they've done something terribly wrong by bringing in a good, young, right-side D. I mean, it, it, people, I, I think a lot of it is there's a voice, there's a lot of voices out there that keep saying the Canucks should rebuild. The thing, though, again, I've said this before, is a rebuild is a rebuild. It's it's more pain. It's starting from scratch. And if you really believe 
If the if, if Canucks fans really believe and if organization really believes that Pedersen, Hughes, and Demko are something to build around, you have to build around them then. Uh, that's that's the only way to do it. And so bringing in a guy like Hironic for me, at first I wasn't sure, and I've thought about this trade a bit more and a bit more, and I've warmed on to this trade a bit. But again, it, it does rely on how well Hironic plays. His cap hit after this deal, yeah, there's that's there's gonna be that's gonna be something. Maybe it is seven and a half. I don't know. He won't go above won't go above Hughes, but by that point, there's a lot of money that's coming off the books. That's also the same offseason, though, that you have to sign Pedersen. So there's going to be a lot of money coming onto the books as well. Uh, and again, kind of keeps pointing back to the what do you do with that big OEL deal? And you know my thoughts on that right now. But look, I, 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 I think that you know, there's a lot of Canucks fans as well who said who when they said Philip Peronik. And so that, I think, also lends to a bit of this, this narrative out there. So there's a lot of people don't really understand how good Philip Peronik is. Um, but I think overall, look, I'm excited about this. You've, you've plugged now a guy into the right side. Why is why it's done now is because he was available now. He may not have been available or another team may have swooped in and grabbed him. I, I think that's why you do this deal now. And I hear this whole narrative of like, oh, the Canucks are buyers. They're not necessarily buyers. They're just, this is something that can improve the team moving forward is you're now finally addressing the situation at right D that has just been going on really since what, like Kevin Bieksa left the team? Like it's been a long ass time since we've had anyone on right D that's noteworthy. I mean, Sammy Sallow probably, right? As far as a guy that could play both ends, Bieksa, I know he had a couple big goals, but he was never really an offensive defenseman. Um, it's probably Sammy Sallow is the the best two-way right shot defenseman we've had in that I could think of in the past 15 years. Um, and we've never really replaced him. You know, Dan Hamby's played the left side. Um, yeah, it's it, it's been it's been really tough for the Canucks to find someone who can regularly play big minutes and not, you know, hurt you on the offensive or defensive end. And and Hironik's going to be good. Like I, I do think he's going to be really good. He's a he's an incredibly good penalty killer as well. And that is definitely something that this team desperately needs help with is the penalty kill. Um, and the other guy I wouldn't be surprised that you could see a buyout potentially is uh, Tyler Myers. I think he's a guy, after his bonus gets paid, uh, I wouldn't be surprised if the Canucks buy him out because it, once that bonus is paid, I think that he's only owed actual $1 million real dollars left on his contract. Um, so I, I that's a guy I could see them potentially buying out. Um, yeah, I don't know. It's, it's a bit confusing. I'm with you, Pete. I'm actually more upset about giving up the second round pick if they especially in this year's draft, because everyone says this draft's meant to be very, very deep. And that second round pick, given where the Canucks are now, that's going to be, what, a 35th, 36th overall pick? That's a huge, huge pick. Now, it's a very deep draft, but I think I've also heard people saying, and, and scout experts saying, it's not as deep as some people are saying it are. It's, it's a very winger-heavy draft. There's not as many D and centers in there. And, you know, the Canucks do love their wingers. So, uh, look, it is it is a good draft, but... I've heard people saying, uh, it, you know, it's not as good as we originally thought it was. I shouldn't say as originally thought, but if you look at it, the Canucks are still going to be in a position to get a very good player. Right now, they would pick either first, second, sixth, seventh, and eighth, or eighth. So they'll pick eighth because <laughs> it's the Canucks. Um, so even at eighth overall, you're you're still going to get a, a good player this, this year. And it's not, yeah, I mean, look, at the end of the day, if, if if let's say if if Heronic was 
a part of the deal coming back for Horvat. I think people would have been okay with that. It's just the optics of trading out a first in this market where we've done it in a JT Miller deal. And hey, look, that trade worked out. The first round pick that was used in the JT Miller trade has was just traded again as part one of what six parts in the Timo Meyer deal yeah. to uh, to to San Jose. Like, look, that that one worked out. The OEL trade, we all know did not work out and it is a scarring trade and is probably going to go down as one of the worst trades in Canucks history and I think Canucks fans are are just like look you can't keep trading away first it's like this year though we do have a first so this is for me this is more of a move that using that extra picks that you have to leverage to get uh, a good right d Uh, and again this, this guy look I, you may not like the trade Canucks fans, but don't like, is, is this going to be another JT Miller situation where we're fans because they don't like the contract are just going to jump all over the guy right away. Like I think that once fans see Heronic and what we have, I think uh, that'll be, that'll change some narratives out there. This is a very good young right shot D that's something we've needed forever. So look, I'm going to give it a little bit of time. It took me a little time to kind of come to this because at first I wasn't really sure if I liked the deal or not, but I've thought about it a bit more and more. I, I'm i okay with this trade for the most part. Again, like you said, though, it, it, it's just, man, the second round. I, I, I remember like a year ago I did some math and the Canucks have had more years where they didn't pick a second rounder than they actually have picked a second rounder. It's crazy. Well, Gillis was trading off second round picks like they were going out of style and I get it. You know, they, they were a team vying for a Stanley Cup year in, year out. But, you know, then Benning was kind of giving up second-round picks more often than not. And now Alvin's done it this year with this, and he did one uh, prior to this season with the Jason Dickinson uh, trade as well. So, yeah, it's just one of those things, this team, for whatever reason, no matter who's in charge, just seems to cough up second-round picks. And if you look at some of the great players that have been drafted in the second rounds, year after year, I mean, Patrice Bergeron, Shea Weber. And again, I know, look, those are diamonds in the rough. It's hard to pick those guys up. Sebastian Ajo is another one. Um, but at least you're giving That's yourself the opportunity to draft these guys by having these second round picks. Um, I like Koronik. I, I think it, it is a good addition. I just, yeah, it's that second. I'm actually more, like I said to you, and I think you agree, I'm more upset about coughing up the second round pick than I am the first. But you know what? Maybe we'll all be wrong. I mean, the guy the guy could potentially play with Quinn Hughes. I know some people were speculating. And again, the Canucks are definitely going to need to, you know, make uh, clear up some cap space in order to this in order for this to happen. But Gavrikov is another Diamond Dan Milstein client, and he's a guy who I think would be a great partner for Heronic if the Canucks signed him in the offseason. He's a stay-at-home defenseman. He plays the left side. Uh, there's a reason why a lot of teams were in on him this year. LA ended up getting him in the Jonathan Quick um, Corposalo deal, and he's a rental essentially for them. I mean, maybe he resigns with them, maybe he doesn't. Um, but he's a guy that if the Canucks can make some cap space for, I think he'd be the perfect partner for a guy like Heronic moving forward. And again, what have we said? We have said the main focus that this management group needs to do is they need to rebuild the blue line and this is one of the first steps in them doing that 
Also, Canucks do have two-thirds and three-fourths this year, so they do have some picks in the draft. Hey, uh, one more trade to discuss here. Curtis Lazar goes to Jersey for one of those fourth-round picks. Sorry, the fourth-round pick is a 2024 fourth. My bad. Um, this is, uh, again, kind of surprising, uh, but I, I get it. Like, I mean, this is the second player now, if you include Riley Stillman, that this regime has traded for and then traded out. So, again, looking like, hey, Curtis Lazar seemed like a pretty good deal. Three years, $1 million per AAV. Like, that, that's, that's a usable player, local guy, but he just never really worked out here. They get rid of that million dollars off the books and – get a fourth round pick yeah i agree it was a bit surprising that lazar got traded today but i I like the deal you get off his money i think that's all that really matters and not that a million dollars is you know make or break or anything like that but for whatever reason lazar just wasn't working in vancouver he struggled this year i know he had some injuries uh he never really played center you know he was brought in to be that right shot fourth line center and he pretty much moved to the wing pretty quickly Nils Amon kind of usurped him as that uh, bottom line center position. And Amon's been great, to be fair. I mean, I think Amon's probably been one of the biggest surprises for the Canucks this year. Um, yeah, I mean, again, you had a fourth round pick in 2024. A good value for the Canucks on this deal, in my opinion. Yep, all the best, Lazar. Too bad it didn't work uh, work out. But yeah, the Canucks have an extra pick in next year's draft. The Canucks, as much as they don't like the second round, they seem to always find ways to to pick in the the fourth round. Uh, a couple other things coming up. I mean, uh, for the Canucks, uh, Aiden McDonough watch is, is officially on. They've got some time to get him signed, but that'd be interesting to get. Well, not interesting. It'd be very good to get him into the the Canucks system. He's finishing up college at Northeastern, so hopefully we get to see Aiden McDonough uh, get signed. That's one of the other things to start watching now for the Canucks. Um, also. Thatcher Demko is back uh, with the, finally, and I think he's looked pretty good in the, the couple games that we've seen from him so far. Yeah, uh, crazy stat. I believe it was J-Pat that uh, said this on Twitter. I believe it was last night. Last night's 2-1 loss to the Minnesota Wild was the first game this year the Canucks have had played that ended in 2-1. The game that was... I know. Isn't that nuts? The other game was the Boston game until uh, Olmark scored the goalie. Of course, we had a goalie goal, goalie score against us this year. Yes. Um, but that was that was the game that most people thought was finally going to end 2-1. That was the first game this year. Game, was it, 65, I believe it was for the Canucks? 64? The first time they played a game that ended 2-1 this year. Just goes to show you how bad the defense and the goaltending has been. And... Yeah, I agree. I mean, I know they beat the Dallas Stars, which what was it, 5-4, I believe that game was. Um, and Demko did look solid. I know he said heading into that game he was nervous and he had some anxiety. And I thought Demko was very solid uh, in the loss against the Wild uh, on Thursday night. And yeah, man, it's, it's just good to see Demko back. Uh, he is, you can see how much of a difference maker he is when he's in the crease compared to Colin Delia and Spencer Martin. And, you know, Archer Seelofs, obviously, he deserves praise as well. He got in for, what, three or four games, and I thought he played very admirably, got a few wins in there as well. But uh, Demko is just so much more of a presence between the pipes. 
Demko looked like his old self the last couple of games. I mean, that Dallas game, I think he faced five breakaways in the first half of the game or something ridiculous. Um, also, a friend of the show, uh, Jeff, life concussed, uh, Dallas guy. He was at that game, of course. Uh, and we got to meet him some point in the last uh, few weeks as well. We got to finally meet him when he was up here, went to the Canucks Red Wings game. And of course, the Canucks lost 6-1, not 5-1, 6-1. He also met was, uh, Shorty and game. Cheech as well. I don't know if you saw that photo he posted at the Dallas game. Oh, did he? Yeah, he posted a photo oh, of I him mean... and Shorty and Cheech. Oh, that's awesome. Yeah. I didn't I didn't catch that one. That, that's wicked. Very, very cool. Um, look, hey, Demko back. I mean, would this team be in a better situation had Demko been healthy this year? 100% uh, they would have, and that's something else to consider in all our hand-wringing with everything else, but... Demko looked very solid, I thought, against the Wild. And I tweeted this after the game is I enjoyed watching that game. It felt like the Canucks actually were playing hockey that game. It, I, like, there, there were systems. There, there, it, was, it was defensively. There were still holes, but they're they better. I just thought that the, the team had more of an effort. And with Demko back there, they, maybe there's an added confidence as well. But I actually enjoyed watching that game, which was a 2-1 loss to Minnesota. Yeah, and... I think you said it. You hit the nail on the head. There's just this confidence. When you have a goalie like Demko playing behind you, you, you're just more confident with the puck and your decision-making, I believe, you're a little bit more confident with because you know if you make a mistake, oh, shit, this can cost us a goal heading the other way. Or you got a backstop like Demko who even if you make that mistake, you know, more often than not, he's going to shut the door for you and make up for your mistake. So I thought he looked really good in the first two games and – you know, I, I think all the hoopla and drama surrounding the Canucks and what they did and didn't do this trade deadline, I think if they win the draft lottery and have the chance to draft Connor Bedard, all will be forgotten, all will be forgiven. Everyone will be like, playoffs, baby, let's go. I also think the other guy that I really want if we don't get Bedard is Mitch Koff. I think Mitch Koff, if you've seen what that guy's been doing in the KHL, he has a higher point-per-game average at his age in the KHL than any other player in history. Higher than Ovechkin, higher than Malkin. Um, he scored a, a lacrosse goal the other day in the KHL, which was amazing. And now he's gone back down to the junior team, uh, the KMJHL, I believe it's called. Uh, but Mitch Kov is a guy that I think he, the Canucks are picking five or six, and he's there. You're sprinting the, to the podium to pick. Hey, also, uh, in the Minnesota game, the uh, the Canucks had the indigenous jerseys, uh, the Thunderbolt jerseys out there. And I thought overall, I thought the Canucks did a really good job of indigenous night. And it's something that uh, I think the team should be very proud of and, and applauded for with all the people they brought in for that. And, of course, the nod to Canucks legend Gino Ojik as well. One thing I really liked uh, when they showed the Gino video is they didn't focus on the fights, you know. They made a point to point out how Gino was a very well-educated man and spoke three languages, and they showed a lot of his goals. They showed some of the fights, including some of the iconic ones where his, his jersey's off and he's challenging everyone he can uh, because that is a part of Gino. But I, I like how they didn't just say, hey, he's Gino, he's a fighter, because Gino was so much more than that uh, with the Canucks. I, I thought the Canucks overall did a, a very good job with the jerseys and indigenous night in the Gino tribute. Yeah, actually, Grace and I, we had some errands to run today and we were in uh, Richmond uh, looking to get some furniture for the new place. And I actually saw a lady wearing uh, the thunder, the skate thunder 
bird indigenous Canuck jersey logo. It was like a hoodie. It was really, really cool. Um, I just kind of gave her a nod like, yeah, that's awesome. Um, and wasn't it Gino's brother who helped design the the logo as well, I believe, or his cousin? I believe so. Something like yeah. that? I believe it. I believe it was. It was. There was an Ojik. Uh, I think it was Jay Ojik. If I, I may be wrong with that, but uh, uh, there was definitely an Ojik involved in the design with that. Yeah. Again, I love it. My only issue with all of these specialty jerseys is just the cost. You know, I think it was like seven hundred and fifty bucks for the jersey. And, and again, they're beautiful. Like the Diwali jersey. I know you got the Diwali shirt. Uh, I know they for yeah, February. The there's the Black History Month. Now. Uh, jersey. Yeah, I like that one. Yeah, too. yeah. I preferred the one from last year, honestly, compared to the one this year. But this one, the one this year was still really, really cool. Um, but just that price tag, I just, you know, and I assume part, part, por- portion of that money is going to the artist. And, you know, maybe it's going to help, you know, indigenous uh, groups and whatnot. But yeah, I it just, it's, it feels like a bit of a money grab when you see how, how expensive they are. It's a little, it's a little bit too dear for me. Hey, Doug, before we get to the free pour, should we do uh, our three stars of the month for February? I think we probably should. Let's do it. I've got my three locked and loaded. I think he'll be back for an encore yet tonight. Fans haven't left. They're still here. There's still the three stars selections. Um, it's going to be kind of boring because I'm just pretty much going with the top three players to score the most points for the month of February. But I honestly think these were the three most consistent and best players in the month of February. So number three, I've got Anthony Bovillier, who had six goals, five assists for 11 points, uh, averaged about 19 minutes and six seconds of ice time for the Canucks. And He's been a he's been a great addition so far. I know he's playing with Petey, and a lot of people might you know put a bit of an asterisk next to that, but he's been great. Uh, my second star is of course the tank killer himself, Mister Clutch Andre Kuzmenko. Uh, Kuzmenko finished the month with seven goals, four assists for eleven points, tying for the club lead in goals for the month of February, and Kuzmenko. I remember at the start of the season, we had uh, Dan Mackles, friend of the show, Dan Mackles on, and we were talking about our hot predictions uh, heading into this year. And, I, you know, mine was Kuzmeko scoring 20 goals. Well, it's looking more and more likely Kuzmeko's going to be hitting closer to 30 goals this year. And I know Cheech has been kind of talking about how he's actually on pace to break Pavel Bure's rookie goal record of, I believe it was 34 goals as a rookie for Pavel Bure. He's he's on pace to beat it. And I know the rookie tag with Kuzmenko this year is a little weird because he can't actually win the Calder Trophy because of his age, but he is technically a rookie, a first-year player, if you will, in the NHL and for the Canucks. Andre Kuzmenko is my second star. And of course, no surprise here, star number one, Elias Pettersson, seven goals, tied with Kuzmenko for most goals in the month of February, and 11 assists for a total of 18 points in 11 games. Elias Pettersson is finally seemingly getting nationwide recognition across the league. People have been saying if the Canucks were actually vying for a playoff spot, Pettersson would have to be in the conversation for the Hart Trophy this year. And I know if you look at the gaudy numbers that McDavid's putting up, I, I just can't see anyone beating McDavid this year. But Elias Pettersson, without a doubt, my number one star for the month of February. 
Well, it took until February, Doug, but we have the exact same three players in the the same order. Uh, I've got Bouvelier as my third, Kuzmenko as my second, and Pedersen as my first as well. Uh, just quickly on all of them, Bouvelier also led the team in power play goals. He's been a great fit on the power play. Six goals, five assists, eleven games. Man, like he's uh, he's been. A, a very pleasant surprise. I keep waiting for him to cool down the new team bump, but this line just seems to have some chemistry. I mean, Kuz, seven goals, four assists in 11 games. Uh, he, he's been playing possessed, too. His game's just gone to another level. And then, like you said, Petey, what can you say, man? 18 points in 11 games, and he is finally getting that recognition of being a superstar. And, look, he won't get many votes for the heart. It'll be tough because of where the Canucks are. However... The Selkie, again, maybe he should get some votes for the Selkie, in my opinion. And he's continuing to get used in all situations. Uh, it, it's it's really incredible to see what he's doing. And, and again, this is a guy that you have to to build around a bit. And, uh, you know, I, I'm, I'm pretty stoked to see what the rest of not only this season, but next season, where he takes us to next year. Uh, and, and, I mean, really for all these guys, is Kuzmenko going to, continue going at this rate is Bouvelier going to keep going Pedersen it's not a question of will he it's just a question of how high he can go but pretty excited about those guys uh so that's my my three as well hey man look at us uh special nod to Quinn Hughes as well I thought he had a very strong month uh as well but didn't didn't quite make it this month so Doug updated standings for our very special Barfly Golden Pint Award uh, there are now seven players on the board. Pedersen leads the way with 24. He's going to win it this year. Horvat's in second with 16 points. Kuzmenko in third with eight. Hughes with six. Miller with three. Bovillier now with two. And Mikheyev with one. Doug, pretty exciting stuff there. I mean, that's going to be quite the quite the race for second, maybe, uh, or I guess technically third behind Horvat, but uh, this is going to be Pedersen's. This is going to be Pedersen's trophy, really, as we go into the final stretch or so of the season. Yeah, I think it's Pedersen's trophy to lose, and like you said, I I, I can't see anyone actually passing him. Um, Horvat was close, but now he's no longer on the team, and the only other guy that I think might be kind of in the running by the end of the season is going to be Kuzmenko, but I think Pedersen's always going to be in the top three. And, uh, yeah, he's going to be the official uh, Barfly Golden Goal winner this year. Doug, with all that, let's, uh, let's switch it up here as well and take it to the free pour. All right, it's that time of the episode for the free pour open floor segment. And I feel like we've been talking about this group a lot lately and the fact that today's the day that their first four albums finally dropped to streaming and we also lost one of their members uh sadly uh true gay uh but it's de la soul the Tommy boy albums so that's three feet high and rising de la soul is dead balloon mind state and stakes is high those four albums have not been available on streaming since streaming became a thing and they are an incredible era and tra- you know a, a generational mark and on the landscape of hip-hop and de la soul is in my opinion one of the most important bands in hip-hop history 
Uh, I mean, Three Feet High and Rising is is easily one of the greatest hip-hop albums of all time. But even, you know, De La Soul is Dead and Balloon Mind State, which I think is a very underrated album by them. I really, really like that one as well. Today's the day that that music is finally available on streaming. So if you've never actually listened to any De La Soul, especially those first four early records, do yourself a favor, get listening. Also re-releasing their vinyl collection this month, but pre-sales are already booked out, so I'm going to have to wait to get my reprint of Three Feet High at some point, maybe when I go and see them. I have tickets for De La Soul uh, coming up April 8th in London. Uh, I'm not sure what's going to happen with that show, but here's hoping. Hey, my free pour is also something musical. How about that, Doug? Um, I want to talk about October 16th of this year, 2023, um, and whose brilliant idea it was to have Guns N' Roses playing at BC Place while across the street at Rogers, we have the Wu-Tang Clan and Nas on the same night, across the road from each other. Hey, two good shows. I want to go to both of them, first of all. Uh, I've never seen Guns N' Roses or Nas. I've seen Wu-Tang, so I'm kind of leaning more to just going to Gunners just because, you know, you never know with, uh, in, in particular with those guys if you'll actually get another chance. But on the same night, like, I mean, and, and you look at Vancouver calendar listings for concerts right now, there's not a lot that far out there. But on the very same night, across the road from each other, you've got Gunners and Wu-Tang and Nas. That is going to be an insane night downtown. Um, I, I, I'm going to be staying away from Granville. I'll be staying away from number five of the Rocks. I mean, I, I stay away from those places anyways, but it's going to be chaos down here. Um so I don't know who is in charge of letting all that happen, but come on, man. Like uh, those guys all on the same night. That, that's going to be a wacky one in downtown Vancouver. Looking forward to opening Daily Hive the next day and seeing all the chaos that has ensued from that one. Thanks for tuning in, folks. Episode 137. That's season four, episode 18 of the Canucks Speak Easy podcast. Just about in the book. Sorry again that it took us so damn long to get a new episode out, but we should be back in a bit of a regular groove until the end of the season, roughly, or close to it, because like I said, Doug, I'm going to London, so we're going to have to figure some shit out there as well. Uh, you know who else is figuring their shit out is Major League Baseball right now. Spring training is back. Have you have you caught much of this and with the, the new pitch clock in there in particular? I haven't, but I was watching PTI the other day, and they were talking about how a game ended because the pitcher didn't get the pitch off, and it was a call three strikes. Uh, or no, it was a walk, I think, or something like that. Whatever it was, but yeah, something happened. And yeah, the pitch clock essentially determined the end of the game because they didn't, uh, maybe the batter called timeout and he couldn't or whatever it was. I don't know exactly what the details were, but uh, I like it. I mean, I like baseball, but it is a, it is one of the few, you know, major North American sports that does need to kind of speed up the game. I know there's been talk. I don't know if they'll do it, but there's been talk about maybe shorten it to seven innings instead of nine innings. I think the pitch clock at first, a lot of people are not going to like it, but I think as time goes on, I think people are really, really going to like it. I actually love watching Do you ever watch like the Blue Jays in 30 on Sportsnet where it's like 30 oh, yeah. minutes you watch a whole yeah, baseball great. game? I, it's great. I agree. I agree. Yeah. Girl, we can do 
I think I think one thing that uh, that I equate this to is how baseball is trying to appeal to a younger crowd right now, right? Like they've lost some fans and some viewership, and their viewership is taking hits uh, across different networks. And this is something similar to what cricket has done with going to like 20 over games. You know, you had the one day 50 overs, but by going to 20 over, all of a sudden you've got like a two and a half three hour game. Works for TV. This look from what I've seen, it's taken a little getting used to, but I like it. I like the speeding up process of the game. There was a batter who got struck out in 20 seconds uh, the other game by the Yankees. I mean, that's little quick for me, but it does change things that long with the shift, which we haven't even mentioned. Getting rid of the shift. I mean, this is going to be a very different game of baseball we're going to see this year. Yeah, and I'm here for it. I, I, I like that. I, the shift got a little bit too ridiculous for me. Look, the shift. My issue with that is there is strategy involved with the shift. So you're actually you're kind of dictating how teams can play defense. So I, that I'm a little bit, I have a little bit of a problem with, but I get it. I get the theatrics it. between the pitcher, the catcher, and the batter, the batter steps out of the box, the pitcher's constantly waving off the catcher for the signs he's doing. You know, I agree with trying to speed that part of the game up, but you know, saying that you can no longer play this certain style of defense or you can't shift the infield, I, I'm not as okay with that, but I do think it's going to be a better watchable product for the younger generation and even for old heads like us. Well, after October, which is my favorite sports month of the year, March is my second favorite month of the year. Spring training is is here. Madness is coming up. Playoff races. Uh, the only thing is missing is the NFL, which is why it's my second favorite. March is my second favorite month of the year for sports. So let's go. I'm curious to see once I'm actually sitting there watching Jay's games how it all goes down with this pitch clock. Uh, folks, you can follow us again online. I'm at Pete underscore Gas on Twitter, and do check out our playlist on Spotify. The current Speakeasy outro playlist. You can find that out there with all of these funky jams that we use at the end of the episodes, including this one. Be sure to give me a follow on Twitter at Doug Venn. Follow the podcast on Twitter at Canucks Speak. As always, thanks for listening. Hasta luego. You got it?